Well, this morning, I want to just thank everyone for choosing to spend your time with us this morning together. Uh, my name is Andy Lovelace. I'm one of the elders here at Bridge Community Church. Uh, and like I said, th- just thank you for spending this time. And I also wanted to say thank you to all those who have encouraged me uh, and have been praying for me leading up to this uh, sermon. It really does help more than you know. Uh, so thank you, guys. Uh, if you've been following along in our services, either in person or, or online, uh, for the past few weeks, you'll know that we've been going through a series called The Church in Motion, uh, Unhindered, and we've been looking at the Acts of the Apostles uh, described in the book of Acts in chapters 3 through 12, and we've been following along to see how the early church was set up and what that church looked like to give us an idea of what the church is supposed to still look like today. So we've looked at the different progressions of, of what we see in that book. We see that the church in motion is a church on a mission. It's a church that's empowered, that's de- devoted. They talked about the apostles being devoted to prayer and to teaching and to fellowship. Uh, it's a church that sees the needs around them. It's a church that is both courageous and obedient. Uh, and it's a church that is holy or, or set apart for God's purposes. And what I want to talk about this morning is the net result of as we line all of these things up and put these in place in our life, the result of that is that this church in motion becomes an unstoppable church. And so that is the title of my message this morning. The church in motion is an unstoppable church. Uh, But before we get into being unstoppable, I want to tell you a story about something that it was not unstoppable. And that is a 1980-something Chevy Chevette hatchback. <laughs> my, uh, my dad used to call it the vet, but I assure you no one actually confused it with a Corvette. That's what you'll see in the lower right. Uh, we had the one in the, the upper left, the, uh, the Chevy Chevette. Uh, and it was not unstoppable. Here's how I know. When I was a kid, my primary goal in life was to someday drive a car. After that, be Luke Duke. And beyond that, well, I hadn't really thought beyond that. That was pretty much the entirety of my life plan at that point. Drive a car, be the Dukes of Hazzard. So one day, my family and I were visiting friends of ours, and my buddy Danny and I were were outside playing, and we realized that someone had left the vet unlocked. And I knew this was my moment. All of the events of my life had been leading up to this one point in time. The vet was unlocked. So we opened the door. We rolled down the windows. Because remember, this is how you rolled down windows in the 80s, right? So we rolled down the windows, closed the door again from the outside so that we could climb in like the Dukes of Hazard. And we were having the time of our lives pretending that we were on those country roads outrunning Boss Hog and Roscoe. And what we didn't realize, though, is somewhere in that process, one of us had knocked the car into neutral, and we had begun slowly coasting down Danny's gravel driveway. Meanwhile, our parents are inside the house talking about whatever it is grown-ups talked about back then, and they look out the window to see these two grubby little fists driving the vet down the gravel driveway towards the fence. So my dad runs out, Danny's dad runs out, they get in front of the vet, and they push it to a stop before it hits the fence. So there you go, 1980-something Chevy Chevette, not unstoppable. 
But, but to be fair to Chevrolet, it would have been much harder to stop that car if the engine had actually been running and we had actually put it into drive. But that's actually my point this morning. You see, Danny and I were going through all of the motions of the people that we had seen be successful and do the things that we wanted to do, right? We were, we were doing all the things that we thought we were supposed to be doing, and yet we had power right in fail, available right in front of us that we were not tapping into. Now, in this particular instance, that was a good thing, that we had not found a way to start that engine and put the car into drive. It would have had a much sadder ending to that story uh, if we had known how to do that. But what we want to talk about this morning is the church. And the church, it's just the opposite. It's sad when we don't engage the power that is available to us, and we just go through those motions. So the main point of my message this morning is this. We are God's unstoppable church when we engage his power to fulfill his purpose. And so we get a glimpse of what this looks like when we, um, when we look at what the church looked like in the beginning of Acts. So just to set the stage um, for, for, uh, for the story, I want to jump all the way back to Acts chapter 1 for a minute and look at verse 8. Uh, verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here you see the two things that Jesus is giving his apostles at the beginning of the book of Acts. The first one is obvious. It's power, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But the second one is he gives us a purpose. That purpose, what we're supposed to use that power for, is to be his witnesses. And, you know, we may never go to Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, but what that's really getting at is local to where you are and then branching out to the communities beyond you. And those two things have to go together, the purpose and the power. Because when you have power without the right purpose, people get hurt. Right When power is used inappropriately, when it is not used for God's purposes, dangerous things happen. The flip side of that, when you have good purpose and good intentions and you don't have power, you're stopped at the first sign of resistance. Just like Danny and, and I, when we were rolling down that driveway, all it took was a couple of guys in penny loafers to put their hands out and it brought that car to a stop. And so that's why we are the unstoppable church when we take advantage of both of those things, we engage his power to fulfill his purpose. So just to kind of uh, catch you up in case you, you missed some of the earlier sermons or just as a refresher, here's where we stand in the story of the early church. So Jesus, after he had been crucified, raised from the dead, he spent some time with his apostles. He ascends into heaven, and just before he does, that's when he gives them uh, this command and this instruction The apostles stay in Jerusalem until Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, and that's what empowers them uh, to do the things that they've been called to do to fulfill that purpose. Uh, The church devotes themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, and they begin to be witnesses and to minister to the people around them. We see uh, Peter and John heal a, a beggar who is lame, Uh, We see the whole Ananias and Sapphira story, right, where God demonstrates his holiness and and the importance of of being honest in the presence of God. And at this point, 
the church is really getting a lot of attention. If, if Twitter were a thing back then, they would be trending because they were what everyone was talking about. And so now we pick up in the middle of Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12. Uh, and this is what Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts, tells us about the early church. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Next slide. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So let's just pause for a minute here and look just at Peter and the progression of his faith as he has gone through what we, what we hear about him in the Gospels until now. Luke chapter 22, as Jesus is going to trial before he's crucified, Peter is so afraid that three different times he denies even knowing Jesus. Then we get to Acts chapter 2, and we see that same man uh, who had denied Jesus preaching to a crowd and saving over 3,000 people. Acts chapter 3, we see him heal a beggar who, uh, who is lame, who hasn't been able to walk for, for his whole life for almost 40 years. Uh, and yet, so he prays, he, he prays for God's healing for this man, and he says he gives him his right hand, and he helps the man up uh, to kind of assist as God is healing him. Now we get to Acts chapter 5, and people are being healed without Peter doing anything. He doesn't even have to extend his hand. It says, just by Peter's shadow passing by here, he, he, they were healed. And when you think about that, what even is your shadow? The shadow is the spot that the light can't get to because you're in the way. And yet even in that, God was able to use those situations where we feel like we're in the way God is able to use those situations to bring healing to the people that need it. So from this part of the story, we see my first point, and that is that God's unstoppable church brings others to Christ. Because really, this is the mission. This is the reason why we're doing what we're doing. This is the reason why Jesus came, uh, just like Kevin said during communion and we sang about, why Jesus paid it all so that we can be in relationship with him. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John three sixteen, uh, And that verse and the one that follows it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So this was the entire purpose of Jesus coming to earth. So we celebrate at Christmas the virgin birth, we celebrate Easter, the crucifixion, but all of it, all of the miracles, everything that he did led up to the world being saved through him. So as the unstoppable church, that is our mission. We are unstoppable. When we are an unstoppable church, we're doing things to bring others to Christ. And so you see that in the fact that more and more people in the beginning of Acts 5 uh, were believing in the Lord and they had faith uh, to the point where they were being healed as well. Uh, but it doesn't always come easy. I think for those of you who have been a believer for any amount of time, you realize it never goes as smoothly as you think it's going to. It never is going to be quite as easy 
And so we see that happening to the apostles as well as the story picks up in verse 17 of chapter 5. It says, Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell all the people about this new life. Now, I do have to wonder what was going through the apostles' mind at that time. They're you know, doing what God told them to do. They're preaching the gospel. They're thrown in jail. An angel comes to them in the middle of the night and says, tell all the people about this new life. And I wonder if they were looking down at their chains and they were like, really, this new life? This is what I'm telling them about? Um, but I'm, I'm sure that's not, you know, I'm sure they were not that, that cynical. Um, they, they knew, they understood the command that they were given because even in the midst of that obstacle, God provided a way, God showed his power, not just so that they could go home and be comfortable, not just so that they could, you know, one-up the Sadducees, but God's power was used to free them from the obstacle because they still had a job to do. He didn't, the angel didn't say, you're free from this jail, go home and get some rest. He said, go, to the, go stand in the temple courts and tell all the people about this new life. So, so they follow what they're told. They do what the angel tells them to do. And the next morning, the high priest and the Sadducees are getting ready to put the apostles on trial uh, for the things that they've been doing uh, to, to arrest them and to punish them further. So the high priest, he sends the temple guards to the jail to go get the apostles and to bring them to the court. But of course, we know what's going to happen next because we just read they're not there. So the guards go, they realize there's no more apostles in that jail, and they come back to the high priests and they give this report that we see starting in verse 23. The guards say, we found the jail securely locked with guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, hey, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. So you can see the apostles did not let these obstacles stop them from fulfilling their mission. God's power moved, they obeyed, and they went back to to fulfilling that mission, to teaching others about Jesus. And, and what I like about that, and I think sometimes we're, we're guilty of this, sometimes when we face opposition, we wind up picking the wrong fight. And we wind up fighting against the opposition or the challenge or the unfair rule, and we lose sight of what our mission is and, and the ultimate fight that we're supposed to be doing. If you look in this example... The, the apostles, instead of going to the temple courts and preaching, they could have chosen to be outside of the high priest's court and, you know, protesting or arguing to the high priest that what you're doing is unfair, this is no way to treat me. But that would have been just as disruptive to the mission as if they were still in jail. They had a job to do, and they picked the right fight. They continued to pursue those who still needed to hear about Jesus. They were on a mission, and whether they were still in jail or released from jail, they were going to continue on that mission. 
And actually, if you look at some of the other books in the New Testament, especially uh, of the, uh, the Apostle Paul, there were times where God chose not to release them from prison. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, I don't know the exact numbers, but probably about half the New Testament was written from a prison cell. So in those obstacles, if God moves that hurdle out of your way, or if he leaves that obstacle in your way and you have to deal with it, Either way, your mission is the same. We are still called to be a church that is reaching those who need to hear the good news of Jesus, who need to know what it's like to have that relationship with the Heavenly Father that is seeking after us. So uh, that gives us our, our second point, which is that the unstoppable church brings others to Christ despite obstacles. So at this point, uh, like the, the verses said before that, the temple guard, the high priest, they're all wondering, what's going to happen here? What's this going to lead to? They, they send the apostles out of the room, and they're, trying, they're talking among themselves, trying to figure out what to do next. And, and they want to just layer these punishments on them because they believe what the apostles are speaking are blasphemy to the traditions and to the the religions that they've been practicing and that they've been teaching for all these years. And so they're trying to find a way to not just silence them, but to completely silence them uh, by putting them to death. But there was one man among the group, his name was uh, Gamaliel, uh, and he was highly respected uh, among the Sadducees and among that group of people. And the words that he gave to the high priest and to the Sadducees were very wise Uh, And they wound up listening to him. So this is what he said. We read it starting in verse 35 of Acts chapter 5. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So see, these were very powerful words because Gamaliel, he'd been around the block a few times. He had seen things like this Jesus thing uh, happen before where Someone comes, they start preaching a new message, people follow them, and it looks like something's going to happen. But the leader dies off, just like they saw Jesus crucified. But in those other cases, everything, the whole movement that they started, just started to fizzle out. It was like the story of, of me and Danny, where, you know, we're going through the motions, and it looks like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, But there wasn't that power there. It wasn't really from God. So when things got difficult, it all just fizzled out. Nothing carried forward. And so that's what Gamaliel was telling the high priest, how they should respond to the early church. He said, if this is just another one of these cases, like, what are their names? Uh, 
Theotis and, and Judas, if this is just another one of those, just let it fizzle out. Nothing is going to become of this. But if this, is a, if this really is from God, they are going to be unstoppable. And you're just going to find yourselves fighting against God. And you know, no one can win that battle when you're fighting against God. So, you know, very wise words. They, they're persuaded to do what he recommends, yet they still call them in and they still flog them. So it's, again, it is not an easy road to walk. Uh, they, they bring them in, they flog them, and they release them and they say, you can go, but they were ordered not to speak uh, the name of Jesus anymore. We see their response uh, in the next couple of verses, starting in verse 41. It says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. Did you catch that? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So there we can see Gamaliel was right. They were unstoppable, not because they did all of the right things and they had a persuasive enough speaker that could rally people behind them uh, and, and that could convince people to follow a new way or a new movement, but they were following the plans of God to the point where when opposition came, if they were thrown in jail, they were still sharing the good news of Jesus. If they're released from jail, they're still sharing the good news. When they were flogged, they were literally beaten with rods, and yet they rejoiced because it meant that they were counted worthy of suffering the disgrace for the name. Basically, because they knew that their Savior Jesus had to suffer, they felt that it was an honor to suffer in a similar way to he did for the sake of his name. And they didn't let that stop them. Even though after they were beaten and sent out, they were told, don't speak of this name anymore. It says they never stopped continuing to proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So they were continuing that purpose. And the difference that in their situation compared to the other movements that they had seen in that time is my third point. God's unstoppable church brings others to Christ despite obstacles when following God's plan. So what we need to do here, there's, there's two sides to this coin. On one hand, we need to be mindful of the fact that we are not trying to push our own methods or our own agenda and be the one that's in control and kind of forcing things to happen. So we need to keep ourselves in check and make sure that we're not just trying to force things. But on the other side, it's also a little bit of a relief because we can rest in the fact that we don't need to be the one in control. We don't need to be the one figuring out every detail. God has a plan. God has a purpose. We just need to let him move in that. So just like the, you know, the story of, of me and Danny in that old uh, Chevy Chevette in, in the 80s, we, we're not, we don't need to be the ones that are going through all the motions and make sure that we're climbing in the window like Luke Duke and you know, turning the steering wheel and doing all the things that we've seen the people that we've looked up to through the years do. Uh, our job is to let, uh, let God use the power that he has already placed in us 
to fulfill the purpose that he has already given us, that he has already laid out for us. So we don't have to look like me and Danny coasting down a gravel driveway. And the early church didn't have to look like the other movements that had started before this, where once the leader died, they just fizzled out and went to nothing. That's not what the church looked like 2,000 years ago as we continue to read through the book of Acts um, of all of the things they do. And it's not what we need to look like now, right? We can continue in that power to, to be reaching out to those around us, to be overcoming obstacles, dealing with the obstacles when they're, when they're in our lives, and following God's plan. So he didn't just give us these superpowers to do whatever we want. He gave it to us for a purpose, and we need to balance God's power with God's purpose. So now it brings us to the most important question of any sermon, and that is, well, what do we do now? <laughs> so you might be thinking, Andy, this is a little bit overwhelming. I'm not sure what it is you're asking me to do. Am I supposed to go out and rally a crowd of 3,000 people and start preaching to them? Am I supposed to try to make a shadow and walk past people to see if I can heal them with my shadow? I don't know if I can do this. Are you telling me on Monday I'm going to get hauled into jail because I came to church on a Sunday? Um, no, just <laughs> it, it's, it's, not as, it's not as overwhelming as it sounds. What we're looking at is kind of the highlight reel of the book of Acts, um, but, but that's not where we start. If you remember earlier in the sermon, we were talking about Peter's faith journey, and he had to go from a point where step one was just stop denying that you know Jesus. You know, that was a very simple step. And then, you know, he had to walk along the way. It reminds me, um, a few weeks ago, I had my semi-annual honesty test. Uh, And if you're not familiar with what that is, that's where every six months you go to the dentist and they ask you if you've been flossing. (laughs) So I had to tell them, well, there was this one time. uh, No, no, I said, I'm not, I'm not flossing. But uh, I loved... The hygienist response, her name was Emma, and Emma said, that's okay, here's what I want you to do. Pick one day a week, and that's your flossing day, and start to build that habit. And for for a few weeks, you're flossing one day a week, and maybe it's Sunday, whatever day you pick, that's your flossing day. Once you build that habit, add a second day. Now you've got two flossing days. And she said, and the next time I see you, I want to hear that you're flossing two or three times a week. And you know what? That took so much pressure off. It got rid of that guilt of, I should be flossing twice a week. I know all the dangers of gum disease. And yes, this is very important. And it seemed overwhelming to to build a habit and jump all the way to the end from the beginning. But what I encourage you this morning is is just like Emma said uh, to me about flossing, find Just start off, what is that first step that you need to take? Where are you in the journey of your faith so that your next step may not be the same next step as the person sitting next to you? So what I want to offer to you this morning as a a series of steps, uh, if you want to try this, is something that that Pastor Paul had, had shared with me a little bit ago. His small group a couple of years ago put together uh, what they call a rescue list. And it is just a list of people that are close to you 
that you know do not already know Jesus. And just begin to, to pray for those people. If we can go to the next slide, we've got a nice little checklist here. And, and for those of you who, who may be good at noticing patterns, you might pick up a pattern in this particular checklist. You start off by praying. You make a, what they call a rescue list, a list of people that you know need to hear the good news of, of Christ, need to be in a relationship. You keep praying. You listen for opportunities where you've got a chance to plant a seed in that person's life, to have a conversation, and you keep praying. And then you follow God's leading so that when those opportunities come up, you listen to what it is he wants you to say, and you say it. What it is he wants you to do, and you do it, and you continue to pray. So a lot of times people feel like, I'm not qualified to lead someone to Jesus. I'm not qualified to have this whole message planned out. And, and like we were saying before, that's okay because this is not your plan. You are just following part of God's plan. So like I said before, I'm not asking you to preach to 3,000 people. I'm not asking you to begin to heal people with your shadow as you walk past them. I'm just asking you to take a step and, and maybe if you don't already have a list, put that list together. And uh, actually, Pastor Paul shared with me a couple of days ago, and he said, there are several people in our congregation today that are here because they were on someone's rescue list. And so this is something that works. We've got living, breathing examples of this in our very congregation. People are here today because someone else just made the effort to not preach a sermon at them, not judge them for things that they might be doing wrong, but just to pray for them, to listen to opportunities, and and to speak when God moves them to speak, and to share through word or through actions what it is God is is asking them to do in that situation. Uh, At this time, I'd ask that the worship team would would come up and and start to get ready uh, as we close out. And and what, what I ask each of you to do as we take some of this time in closing out the sermon, is think about where you stand in this whole process of being uh, an unstoppable church. Think about you know, where you stand in the process of engaging his power to fulfill his purpose, bringing life to others, uh, overcoming obstacles, following God's plans. Maybe this morning you're a believer maybe a new believer or you've been a believer for years, but you've gotten to a point where you're just coasting like Danny and I were in, the, in that Chevette. And it's time for you to engage the power that is right in front of you. It's time for you to turn that key, put the car into drive and start to take a step. Don't let that starting out scare you. Take the advice of Emma. Just find that one next step. Maybe this morning, what God is asking you to do is start to put together your rescue list. It doesn't have to be a long list. Pick two or three people to start off with. And who are the people close to me that I need to start praying for to plant that seed and listen for opportunities to to share the love of God with them? And it's not up to me to force them to say a prayer or to come to a church service, but just who are you going to team with God on to start to reach out and to be his hands and his feet in that situation? 
So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're in that coasting state and you just need to engage, engage the power that, that is available to you. Or maybe you say to me, Andy, I've been doing this for years. There's someone in my life or maybe a few people in my life that I've just been praying for over and over again and I've seen nothing happening. I don't really know if this works like you're saying it works. And to you, I need you to hear this. Keep praying. You are not failing if you have not seen results yet. When we let God use his power to fulfill his purpose, he does it in his timing. And it doesn't always make sense to us, especially in a culture that can have so many things so instantaneously. It's hard for us to have that patience and to trust that just because I haven't seen it yet doesn't mean that I'm not going to see it. So if that's you this morning, I would encourage you, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Keep praying. Keep following that list of pray, listen for God's prompting. Pray, follow his prompting. Remember, as much as you want to see that person come to know Jesus, God wants that even more than you want it. He wants it so much that he would give anything. And actually, he wants it so much that he did give everything. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, not just so that you and I could be in relationship with him, but so that those people that you are praying for can be in a relationship with him. So this is not something that you need to twist God's arm for to convince him to reach your friends or to reach your family member. This is something that you are teaming with God for to work together to reach that person. So don't get discouraged when the timing doesn't look like what you think it should look like. And lastly this morning, I want to reach I want to talk to those who maybe you are that person that someone is praying for. It's very possible today that you are on someone's rescue list. And maybe you're here this morning listening to this sermon either in the seats or online, maybe later on in a podcast, and events have lined up in such a way that you're hearing this message because someone has been praying that you would hear the message that you need to hear, that the God who created the universe is pursuing you and wants to be in a relationship with you. That's why we're here this morning. That's why he has given his church the power that he has because he is using it to pursue each one of you. So as we get ready to close, uh, in just a minute, the worship team is going to lead us in a song called Oceans. Uh, And the song is about another point in the Apostle Peter's faith journey. This is where he and the other disciples are in a boat and he sees Jesus walking to them on the surface of the water. And he says, Jesus, if that's you, call me out to walk on the water too. So Jesus calls him out. And as he steps out of the boat, as he's keeping his eyes on Jesus, he's able to walk on the surface of the water. But then he starts to pay attention to the wind and to the waves around him. And he starts to pay more attention to the obstacles than to the Savior. And he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches down and and saves him uh, and pulls him back up. But this morning, this is what we are each being asked to do. We're not being asked to physically step out of a boat and step onto the water, but we're all being asked to take whatever that next step is in your journey, knowing that it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be something that you can do 
in your own power. Peter couldn't say, if I just try hard enough, I can walk on this water on my own. Right? It only comes by the power that comes from God. But as we sing this song and we talk about walking on the water and uh, stepping out, knowing that Jesus is going to be with us, just let the cares and the worries and the distractions of the world around you fade out and just spend this time reflecting on what it is that God is calling you to take that next step in your journey. Is he calling you to stop coasting? Is he calling you to keep persevering? Is he calling you to take that initial step and come to know him? So we're we're going to hand it over to the worship team for a couple of minutes as we sing this song. Just let this be a time of reflection. Uh, And then after that, I'll come back up and and we'll pray together uh, a dismissal. But let me just uh, hand it off to to Pastor Matt and the team now. Uh, And let's just sing the song and and let this be a time of reflection. You can sit, you can stand, uh, whatever's comfortable for you. But this time is just an opportunity for you uh, and, and God to just have that interchange.